The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Let's continue to worship our great God by hearing from His Word. I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We continue to make our way through Hebrews. We're still looking at the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Today we're going to particularly focus in on the second half of verse 3, but I'm going to, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 to, again, give us the, the context. Hebrews chapter 1, getting in verse 1, reading through verse 4. Let's give our attention now as God himself speaks to us in his holy and inspired word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Well, this concludes the reading of God's word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, if you recall from last week, I started with the illustration of a bridge. So you and a friend are walking down a trail, and you come to a bridge over a very deep chasm, and you're not sure that you can cross that bridge, that this bridge is going to be able to uphold you as you cross it. And I ask the question, would it be helpful if the friend that was with you said to you, in trying to get you to cross that bridge, surrender? Trust. Let go and let bridge. Obviously, that would not be helpful. What would be helpful? Tell me why the bridge is trustworthy. Give me some qualities or attributes of this bridge for why I can trust it. And building on that, I want to, I want to use a different illustration today. That of a physician. Say so you have a doctor. You like this doctor. This doctor has good bedside manners. This doctor's nice. This doctor seems helpful. You've gone to see this doctor uh, for just regular checkups. But then something happens where you need major surgery. Or you're facing a life-threatening illness. Before you were weren't really nervous, but now you are. Your life is in the hands of this doctor. Can you trust this doctor to care for you? And you're not so sure. You're really nervous. Would it be helpful to hear at that point, surrender, let go and let doctor? Obviously not. And the reason I bring this up is because sometimes this is the way we can approach the Christian life or, or help those who are struggling to believe and trust the Lord. Uh, we, we say these Christianese terms, surrender. 
let go and let God or, or fraud, fully rely on God. And we fail to talk about why He is faithful, why He is trustworthy, why we can depend upon Him. What we don't need is Christianese. Neither do we need to be scolded when we are struggling to trust in the Lord. Rather, we need to hear why He is trustworthy. Even if we've been walking with Him for a while, but then we encounter times when we wonder, is He going to bring me through this? Can I trust the shepherd of my soul to bring me through even the greatest difficulties that He is going to be with me? Can I trust Him to fully deal with the with the disease of my sin. For when I have to stand before God, which we all will have to, will I be accepted? Or will I be cast out into eternal fire? That is something that every soul has to face. So can I trust Him? And if you have doubts and struggles, then the book of Hebrews is for you. And the book of Hebrews is answering those questions of doubting Christians, of doubting professing believers. And the book of Hebrews begins by talking about Christ as our mediator. That is the bridge between us and God. And as I mentioned last week, what it means for Christ to be the mediator is that he has three offices. That he's the prophet, priest, and king. I think this is well summed up in our confession of faith of Christ the mediator, where it says, This number and office, an order of offices is necessary. For in respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of his prophetical office. And in respect of our alienation from God and imperfection of the best of our services, we need his priestly office to reconcile us and present us acceptable to God. And in respect of our averseness and utter inability to return to God and for our rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, we need His kingly office to convince, subdue, draw, uphold, deliver, and preserve us to His heavenly kingdom. And what we see in the first four verses of Hebrews is these three offices, all three of them prophet, priest, and king. We looked at prophets. Last week, today we're going to look at his office as priest, the second half of verse 3, and then Lord willing, next week we'll consider him as our king. So as an outline for today in considering Christ as our priest, two reasons we can fully trust Christ to take away our sins. Two reasons we can fully trust Christ to take away our sins. The first is uh, pertains to him making purification for our sins, and the second is that he's seated. So first, Purification. Again, look at the second half of verse 3 with me. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this verse says that Christ has made purification for our sins. And what this means is that he has cleansed us from the filth and defilement of our sin, so that we can draw near to God. 
that sins need to be purged means that they are indeed filthy. I think the reformer William Gouge put it very well where he said, sin is the worst filth that ever smeared a creature. And our consciences certainly testify to this at times, doesn't it? Unless, of course, our consciences are seared. Sin makes us feel like an unclean thing. It makes us feel like we badly need a shower for our soul. I'm sure one of the things that uh, you enjoy after perhaps a long camping trip, a long hunting trip, uh, being in the backcountry for some time, is a shower. You're covered in filth. you got that sticky feeling on your body. You feel pretty gross. And you're probably a bit embarrassed for anyone to get too close. Well, the same can especially be true when it comes to our sin. Our consciences become defiled. We feel filthy and unclean. Uh, We end up carrying a a great weight uh, of guilt, which is really the heaviest weight any soul can carry. That shame that crushes us. And this is a primary reason that we can withdraw from God and others. But our natural tendency is to try to do something about it ourselves. Now, what are some of the the ways or indicators that we are trying to deal with our sin apart from Christ? Because sometimes we don't always know that we're doing this. Well, we don't call it penance, but essentially that's one of the ways we handle it. And while we don't call it penance and we would fervently deny that we could be saved by works, yet there's something in us that says, I messed, I made the mess, I need to clean it up. And so we do things like responding to our sin by maybe spending some extra time in devotion. Boy, I really blew it. God, I'm going to get more serious. I'm, I'll show you. I'm going to spend more time in devotions. I'm going to get more serious about my Bible reading and prayer time. Do extra spiritual things from soup kitchens to short-term missions so that I just don't feel so guilty. A pastor friend of mine went down to uh, teach some missionaries at Peru, in Peru once. And as he was interacting with these missionaries, it became clear to him that they were plagued by guilt and shame. And it just blew his mind. How can missionaries be plagued with so much guilt and shame? But as he talked with them, he started to realize the reason they were doing what they were doing, going on this great sacrificial mission, is because they were trying to alleviate their guilty conscience. And he saw that as pretty common among them. Now, this may not come out in us being missionaries, but it could come out in things like, I need a spiritual explanation for any enjoyment I have. There's a feeling to to need to justify one's enjoyment. I can't just enjoy a good gift, a creaturely gift, a creational gift from God with a clear conscience. I, I need a spiritual purpose behind it. Yeah, I'm gonna go see that 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 movie, you know, clean. I'm gonna go see that movie so I could better evangelize. Maybe I'll evangelize somebody next to me. I can't just enjoy it. A lot of legalism is based on the need to feel clean. 
if I stay away from certain foods or certain drinks or certain activities that the Word of God does not condemn, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, if I keep my hands clean from those filthy things, then I don't need to feel so filthy. While we do not need to participate in things that go against our conscience, we have to understand this. We are not any more righteous or clean by staying away from legitimate preacherly gifts. I think another way that a guilty or defiled conscience shows up and us trying to deal with it apart from Christ is when we withdraw from God. And I think this is probably a top one. Coming to church, drawing near to God to hear His Word and be with His saints makes us feel filthy, unclean, not included. While the church certainly has fault in this and has a spirit of self-righteousness and excluding others, yet people can feel condemned or judged simply because they have a guilty conscience and they're with people that act differently than the world. Still remember a young unconverted woman uh, coming to a church I used to attend, and uh, her her husband is a believer. She wasn't. But she would come to church with him, and her top complaint was, "I feel judged by everyone." And of course, there's there's always fault with uh, the church, but that radically changed when the Lord converted her. She came to know the Lord, and suddenly she no longer felt judged. Nothing changed in the interaction from the church, but what, hap- what, what she admitted to was, I had a guilty conscience, and I felt I was like I was being judged by those around me. You know, someone who feels this way will often withdraw to the world because it feels safer. Those people don't make and feel their filth. They're okay with getting dirty with you. And the world will also give you the justification you want based on uh, your merits. They'll say it's not your fault. It's the circumstances or your spouse or whatever. You're okay just the way you are. Be you. The world will say you are safe here. No condemnation. You want to understand the way the world's working? No condemnation, no exclusion with us. Come to us. You will be safe from the condemnation and judgment that you fear. Don't look to Christ. Look to us. And we'll also give you some works you can do. If you uphold this cause, you will be justified in our sight. Some other ways is when we gossip reason gossip is so attractive is because we can get dirt on others. If we can get dirt on others, it makes us feel not so dirty after all. Also, there could be a tendency to get annoyed by others' rule-breaking and faults because there's a strong legal spirit that comes with trying to deal with one's guilty conscience from working so hard to stay clean, being a good rule people. I've kept the rules. Why can't others? And there's a lack of a gracious spirit from knowing the grace of the Lord who has cleansed from who cleansed us from our sins. All of these are symptoms of trying to deal with a guilty conscience apart from Christ, 
Well, oftentimes we don't even realize that's what we're doing. And this is why Peter says in 2 Peter 1.9, when he gives that list of virtues, he says those who are not increasing of these is because of why? Because of what? It's because they have forgotten that they have been cleansed. They've been cleansed. In other words, they think they're still filthy and they're trying to deal with it somehow. And this is why we need the reminder from our verse here today that our Lord Jesus Christ has made purification for our sins. And notice it doesn't say that Christ is currently making purification for our sins. It's a work in progress. Nor does it say that He needs to keep making purification for new sins that we commit. Rather, it says that Christ has already made purification for our sins. After making purification for our sins, or having made purification for our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Is He still at work in us to sanctify us by His Spirit? Yes, indeed, he, uh, he is. Does He need to keep working to make purification for our sins in justification? No, that work is already done. Our guilt before God has forever been removed from His sight. We may still strongly feel the filth of our sin leading to despair or seeking ways to justify ourselves, alleviate our guilt, establish our own righteousness, our consciences and hearts may testify against us and condemn us for our sin, leading us to want to withdraw and shrink back from God. But greater is He than our hearts, and He testifies here to us in His Word that Christ has made purification for our sins. We no longer stink before God. And because of that, as Hebrews 4.16 says, we have confidence to draw near to God. Now let me ask you something. When you fall into sin, or when you become aware of your sin, do you lose confidence to draw near to God? You think, you know, God doesn't really want to hear from me right now. I can't really draw near to Him in prayer. Do you stay away from God until you've had a, a better period of righteousness or obeying Him or staying away from that sin that makes you feel so filthy? That you lose close communion with God when you sin. Say, well, the way I handle this is after I've stayed away from that sin for a while, I can once again feel clean and therefore confident to draw near to God. Well, if this is the case, it tells us where our confidence is, beloved. It tells us that the confidence is in ourselves. How clean am I based on how well I'm living? But Scripture reminds us 
that our confidence remains the same no matter what. It's not based on how well we are living or what sin we have stayed away from. Our confidence to draw near to God is based on one thing and one thing only. And that is that sacrifice that Christ has offered on our behalf that has forever purified us from our sins. And that confidence remains the same. Whether we're living well or whether we have blown it. Because the confidence is not in our living. The confidence is not in our righteousness. The confidence is in the blood and righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ who has made purification for our sins. This also includes confidence to draw near to Him when we have sinned. Because we don't take this as an excuse for living in sin. But when we do sin, we still have that same confidence to draw near to God. Hebrews 4.16 says this, that we have confidence to draw near to Him when? When we need mercy and grace. Confidence to draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace. When is it that we need mercy and grace? When we have fallen into sin. It's not merit and justice. It's mercy and grace. And yet there's confidence to draw near to God when we have fallen into sin. Because that confidence is not based on our righteousness. It's not based on how well we have kept our life clean. It is based on the fact that Christ has made purification for our sins. And building on this, a second reason we can fully trust Christ to take away our sins is that He is seated. He is seated. Again, the second half of verse 3. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. I want you to notice that our verse says, after making purification for sins. Or maybe some of your translations say, having made purification for sins. It's the same sense. But it says, after he has made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so the way the scripture puts it here reveals that Christ being seated on high is dependent first on Him making purification for our sins, for finishing that work that He was called to do. He had to first do that work before He could be seated at God's right hand. Now, obviously, uh, Christ, being true God, has a natural right to this position as God. However, He also became a man as our mediator, a true man. And therefore, He was given a true work to perform. He was sent by the Father to perform the will of the Father in coming to this world to save sinners. And this was according to that covenant that the God had made before time began, known as the covenant of redemption. That is the covenant where the Father, Son, and Spirit covenanted together for the redemption of the elect. The Father gave to the Son a people to redeem. The Son agreed to redeem this people by becoming their surety, 
That is by becoming responsible to pay their debts. Becoming responsible to fulfill the law on their behalf. And He would pay their debts by suffering that awful curse of wrath on the cross. And if the Son accomplished this work, this agreement is that He would be exalted to His right hand as the God-man, receiving a kingdom and His people as His reward. And this is why Philippians 2 says, after Christ became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, it goes on to say, therefore, in light of Christ becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross, therefore, God has highly exalted Him. It was in light of Christ's obedience even going to the cross in light of His work of redemption, that He was exalted. And Hebrews says the same thing. It is only after Christ made purification for sins that He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. What does this mean? This means that Christ did truly fulfill the work that He was called to do. After Christ made purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. If He did not fulfill His work, He would not have been seated. But because He did fulfill the work of taking away our sins, God has highly exalted Him. You know, we often take comfort in Christ's humiliation for our sins. That Christ became a man. That Christ suffered His whole life culminating with the cross. And we take comfort in that. Christ came into this world to save sinners. But we can equally take comfort in the fact that Christ has been exalted. We can take comfort in His exaltation because that means that work that He came to do, He has fulfilled as evidenced by God raising him up to his right hand. Now, right hand is not literal as if God has a hand or is in space, but rather this refers to the place of greatest honor, which is at the right hand of a king. And what this means is simply that Christ has been exalted to the highest honor. He has received the name above all names, a name more excellent than that of the angels. And we have to ask this question, why would God bestow such honor on Him if He failed to accomplish our redemption? If He failed to accomplish the work that God had given Him? Would God really honor someone as highly, more highly than anyone else, for failing in His mission to save us from our sins? And that His work is indeed finished and complete is indicated by the fact that He is seated. You only sit down when you're done working. Now I know this doesn't apply for moms. The minute you sit down is when sometimes the work seems to start back up again. Your work is never done. But when you are completely done and finished, with something, then you sit down and relax, generally speaking. 
Well, Christ has completely finished his work of making purification for our sins, of paying for our debt, and therefore he is seated. He sat down. And later on, Hebrews brings this up as one of the great comparisons with the, Levit with the Levitical priests. It says in Hebrews 10, verses 11 and 12, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. See, the Levitical priest's work was never done because the sacrifices they offer can never take away sins. Therefore, you sin again, Another sacrifice. You sin, more work is needed. you got to clean up this mess. Your priest has to keep cleaning it up. Not so with Christ. One single sacrifice. And he sat down. Why? Well, the author goes on to say in verse 14, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified by a single offering and that alone nothing more is required christ has perfected that is he has fully purged the guilt of our sins to make us forever clean in god's sight not temporarily until we mess up again but as it says for all time those who are being sanctified now as i already mentioned the fact that we ourselves are being sanctified, still being sanctified, means what? We still have sin. But we who still have sin or are still being sanctified are said to be perfected, according to Hebrews 10.14. And perfected by that one sacrifice. And here's what this means. Your perfection is not based on your sanctification. Your perfection is not based upon pursuing holiness. Because we who are being sanctified, notice it's passive, God's the one doing the work, are already declared perfect. Why is that? By a single sacrifice. Your perfection before God is based upon that one sacrifice. Based upon the work of Christ alone. None of our works, none of our efforts to reform ourselves, to get to a certain level of conquering sin, none of our pursuit and sanctification, which we are called to do. But none of that is for our perfection. It is only the cross of Christ by which we are forever clean. As the, the hymn goes, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked, Come to Thee for dress. Helpless, look to Thee for grace. Vile, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That needs to be our conviction. Savior, wash me, or I die. Because there's nothing else that can take away my sin except for Your work alone. This is our only hope. But our sins indeed have been forever purified. 
as evidenced by Christ remaining seated. When we fall into sin, He doesn't need to get back up again. He does not need to stand up again and get back to work at cleaning up our mess. Your sin does not unseat the Savior. He remains seated and we remain pure in His sight even when we fall into sin. Besides, we're not able to offer up anything better to supplement or to supplement the work of Christ. As Horatius Bonner once said, Christ's sacrifice was the only perfect thing which has ever been presented to God on man's behalf. So we who believe and have a tender conscience, we need to remember these things. Your conscience may afflict you. You may struggle to believe. You may lack assurance. Satan may tempt you by pointing out your sin and reminding you of how filthy you are and saying, how can you even be a Christian? Look at yourself. But if God is satisfied with Christ's work for your sin by having Him seated at His right hand, that is all the assurance we need. And so we need to remember the words of this hymn. When Satan tempts me to despair, or tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, seated, who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Beloved, may you rest in Christ, your exalted high priest, and His perfect sacrifice, knowing that your sins have forever been purged, and therefore Christ is seated at God's right hand, always living to make intercession for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help our unbelief. Help us to trust in the great position of our soul in life and in death. Thank you that he is indeed seated and nothing can ever unseat him. We thank you for that. May we find great comfort and peace in this leading to a life Live for your glory out of gratitude for what Christ has done. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.